Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. Since the FBI search and seizure of stolen classified documents from Donald Trump's Florida country club, Mar-a-Lardo, it's been near impossible to keep up with the daily barrage of facts and opinions surrounding the unprecedented case. Who would have imagined that a former president would become perhaps the biggest threat to national security in the history of the republic? Trump snatched literally hundreds of sensitive documents on his way out of the White House. Documents that did not belong to him, many of them marked top secret. And then he held them hostage despite the best efforts of the National Archives to retrieve them. Trump lied, connived, and ignored a subpoena. He gave back some documents, but not all of them. And the standoff continued. Finally, the FBI swooped in. No former president had ever been shaken down by the FBI before. And what the search revealed has shocked the world. Last week, a highly redacted 38-page affidavit provided enough damning evidence against Trump to warrant an indictment. So here to break down the various ramifications of the crime that may finally bring the Mandarin Mussolini down is legal expert Frank Fagluzzi, a former assistant director for counterintelligence at the FBI where he served 25 years as a special agent and directed all espionage investigations across the entire government. Fagluzzi has said, There's not much that astonishes me, but reading the classification markings referred to in this affidavit made the hair on my back of my neck stand up. Today in this special episode of Mea Culpa, Fagluzzi will share with you his razor-sharp insights and unparalleled understanding of the case. I guarantee you'll feel smarter after listening to the interview. Fagluzzi, a national security contributor and regular columnist for NBC News and MSNBC, is also the author of the national bestseller, The FBI Way, Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence. And check out his most recent op-ed on the MSNBC opinion page, entitled, There's a Reason Why Hoarding Classified Documents is a Crime. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Frank... Regarding Mar-a-Lago, the GOP is screaming that there's never been a warrant issued for a court-authorized search of a former president's residence or offices. But look, let's be honest, Trump isn't just any president or any former president. And after a year and a half of stalling and bullshitting and not returning the documents when requested to the National Archives... What choice did the DOJ have? Now, they knew Trump would make a spectacle out of it, but nevertheless, they went ahead anyway. What do you think that the logic was behind the search? And why now? What's, was surveillance footage the tip-off? What do you think is what caused it? So, so I think you just set, you set the stage for what could be an hour-long discussion because there's, there's, uh, there's some questions in your question. Look, First, for those for those on the far right who deliberately choose to uh, ignore facts and say that, you know, this is unprecedented. Uh, yes, it is. And we've ne- what's also unprecedented, as you referred to, is that we've had a president of the United States who posed a national security threat. So, number one, I don't want to hear about unprecedented. They put an unprecedented 
individual inside the Oval Office. No, number two, for those who are claiming that the search warrant itself was a, a, an overstep, a overreach, a highly invasive measure, I just asked them to come back to the facts. Even there, there are even mainstream uh, reporters who who are just either not understanding the fact pattern and chronology of what went on here to get to the search warrant, or they're choosing to do it deliberately. And and then, you know, speaking of not in the mainstream, a guy by the name of Alan Dershowitz put a column out in the last 24 hours, I think it's on the Hill, in the Hill, that says, um, yeah, they uh, they jumped right to a search warrant and they should have used a subpoena. Well, well are you kidding me? Did you, did you, Alan, have you missed the part about the subpoena? Have you missed the part about the physical visit by government officials high ranking to Mar-a-Lago? Have you missed the part about months and months of negotiation? Did you miss the part about how this started even during Trump's transition? He's still in the White House and Pat Cipollone is telling the National Archives there are boxes in the residence of the White House that do have to go back to you. People are conveniently forgetting all of this. So, look, when when the far right, particularly lawmakers, are start to scream about this, it's apparent, Michael, that this is actually a strategy, that they actually welcome this as kind of a desperate um, solution to, to garnering donations and votes by saying, once again, Trump is a victim and the big bad government is out to get him. So you get to a search warrant here after extreme deference when all other measures have failed. And if you read through the, the affidavit, as, as redacted as it is, it still speaks to the measures and timing involved before they took the ultimate step of a search warrant signed by a federal magistrate because the probable cause was there. Right. What bothers me the most is, let me start with the first thing that bothers me. And I don't understand why people are making such a big deal over it. First and foremost, Mar-a-Lago is not his private home. It's not his residence. It is a social club. It's a social club that has hundreds of members with thousands of people coming in and out each and every week. And I believe that that was one of the reasons that this measure needed to be taken. Let's not forget, it wasn't that long ago that that Chinese woman, um, Zhang, um, came in. She had a thumb drive with malware. The locations of the search by the FBI agents is spelled out quite nicely in this redacted document, but it does spell out where it was. First of all, Trump's office is above the catering facility, which is an open area. Anybody can just go upstairs into the, you know, it, it's not as if he has a guard that's posted there or there's a lock. You go upstairs. That's how you get to his office. And directly next to that office is a couple of um, suites for members or guests of members who were staying, whether it's bridal parties and so on. So there was unfettered access to the area that you had classified information, not to mention a staff of people that would come to clean, whether it's his office, his room, or what have you. Talk about, like, Rudy the moron Kaludi Giuliani, right? Talk, oh, that he was uh, safeguarding these documents. First of all, nobody asked him to do it. He just did it on his own. And I said on Ali Velshi on MSNBC, and I said also on um, 
on uh, Ari Melber. I turned around and I hit, and I even said it on with Allison Kemrod on CNN. I believe that Trump had nefarious reasons for taking the documents and not wanting to give them back. But the part that I was most fascinated by that was completely unredacted is the entire paragraph of this affidavit, paragraph number 47. And this is where I have issue with the GOP and especially the far right. It would be one thing if the FBI took another dozen boxes and there was nothing in it other than love notes to Putin and Kim Jong-un and Mohammed bin Salman and some personal artifacts that could or might not be belonging to the former president. But here, here, we find out that there were 184 unique documents bearing classification. 67 of the 184 were marked as confidential. 92 of those documents marked as secret and 25 documents as top secret. The notion that Donald Trump should be in possession when he is not the president of the United States with 184 unique documents is mind-blowing. And how they're twisting it and how they're fundraising off of it, I just can't, I cannot fathom. So you've raised raised a, a good point that's worth saying, and I'm glad you did, which is, look, I also share your deep concern that there was likely a nefarious intent in maintaining these documents, particularly after he's told, hey, you, you got to give these back. But but I'm very I, I, I'm very quick to point out it's enough for me, again, 25 years in the FBI heading up counterintelligence investigations. Um, it's enough for me to get to the warrant because of the simple need to get those goddamn documents back and into a safer place. So people who say, well, this better be boy, they better have something. Boy, he better have been ready to transmit to a foreign power. I say, no, no, look, look, wait a minute. We have now, and we now know, and you mentioned the number, the number of documents, by the way, is only pre-search. We don't, you know, God knows how much more, really, how many pages, how serious that search, what the search return was. But it's enough to get in there after all of the failed attempts, a subpoena, et cetera, physical visits. It's enough to do the warrant just to get those sensitive documents out of his hands. So so I don't really, you know, yes, we got to dig in and, and get to the motive and, and who had access and do the damage assessment. But it's enough to just get the goddamn documents back. And I've got to tell you, as a counterintelligence professional, when I read um, the unredacted uh, or the, I should say the redacted unsealed version, and I saw the classification markings, and I'm referring to HCS, human sources, mm-hmm. SI, signals, intelligence, or con, originator controlled, no foreign, not for foreign nationals. My God, it's amongst the most sensitive markings you can put on a U.S. government document. Well, how about on June 8th of 2022, and this is all in paragraph 61, another that is, for the most part, Um, unredacted, DOJ counsel sent to POTUS's counsel a letter basically reiterating what they've already told him a year prior to, that the premises are not authorized to store classified information, right? I mean, instead, 
again, what do you get? You get the Rudy Kaludis turning around and saying, we put an extra padlock. It's wow. down in the basement. Nobody goes there, et cetera, et cetera. This is not normal behavior from a person. And one of the things that I said he is going to use, and it's my, it's my, you know, my belief, that Donald would use that information to blackmail this country to leave him alone if, in fact, an indictment or potential incarceration was forthcoming. I don't believe he gave himself a pocket pardon. I don't. Um, I believe that he thinks that he has these documents that if, in fact, you think you're going to put me away, no problem. I have dozens of supporters that have copies. And the second that you do this, I'm going to tell, they're going to obviously see it because it'll be on television. They are instructed to send this to Russia, to China, to North Korea, to Iran, to all of our adversaries. And for all you know, the stuff that's marked top secret, and you and I will never know what that document is ever, right? It could be locations of our nuclear silos. It could be, who knows, like, Idiot, his son, the idiot Eric Trump, takes a photograph of himself on Instagram that has the Wi-Fi password right, right then and there uh, for Mar-a-Lago. Who knows what, you know, what those documents are? And that's a real problem. You know, you, you use the word blackmail, and um, we shouldn't take that lightly. Essentially, we have a former president holding hostage uh, U.S. government-sensitive information. He, he is. And this is this is something I've seen throughout my career, Michael, because in a sense, this kind of blackmail or gray mail, as prosecutors will call it, happens in the most sensitive of espionage cases. By that, I mean, there are cases and I've had them in my career where the the information taken is so incredibly sensitive that it can't ever see the light of day in a courtroom. And so there have been cases where mm -hmm. certain three-letter agencies say, hey, congratulations, FBI, for catching the guy who did this and took it, but, comma, we cannot support a prosecution because I don't care what steps are taken to give clearances to the judge and to the defense counsel. This can't ever be a matter of record. And so, you know, it, it's not outside the realm of possibility that, that he does what other espionage subjects have done, which is go ahead. Go ahead. Let's go to trial. Because in those cases I'm referring to, the DOJ will often offer a uh, a plea deal, right? And cross their fingers. Please, God, let him take the plea deal so we don't have to go to trial. And and of course they go, no, 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 no. Um, I'm going to trial. Let's go. And the case is dropped. Now there's good news here because there is so there's so many classified documents that DOJ could pick and choose the ones that could ultimately, the documents that could get cleared um, for use in court. Um, but often you don't have that that luxury. You have like a guy took one top secret document and you can't prosecute him. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this then. What can you tell us about the memorandum that was filed with the affidavit? What does it tell us that the affidavit doesn't? Well, can I, can I tell you, are you referring to the letter... Uh, that that Trump's attorney filed um, as to and, and insisted as Brady material that being that that it be included in the affidavit. Yes. All right. So I, I, I want to talk about this because 
Well, Trump's legal team filed a a letter that and insisted, please include this when you get to the judge, if you're going for a search warrant, because he's got to know what our position is. And this is fascinating. There's two positions in the letter. What one is position number one. Hey, the president can do whatever the hell he wants when it comes to classified information because he can declassify anything. And uh, of course, that's 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 not true. Yes, he has broad. The president has broad declassifying um, uh, authority, but he's got to go through a process. Michael, in the FBI, I was in a, as an assistant director for CI. I was an original classifying and declassifying authority. There's a process to it, and you've got to cite a reason. And then the, the documents reflect a declassification marking and who declassified them. And in my case, it would have been my credential numbers on the on the document. Okay, so that's nonsense. But I love, so, you know, number, position number one, uh, Trump can do whatever he wants. Position number two is even more fascinating. Hey, look at the statutes you're, ci- you're citing for unlawful retention. And it's they start with the, the phrase, whoever is an officer, employee, or contractor of the U.S. government and takes and retains uh, classified information. So they go on to go, hey, our guy, our client, he was never an employee or officer of the U.S. government. Never, never a government employee. Didn't work for you. Holy cow. R- really? What was he? Did he work for Walmart? Because they're saying Trump was never an employee or officer of the United States government. It's a, it's an unbelievable uh, assertion, but it tells you volumes about who Trump thought he was working for, which was himself. Well, absolutely. But then again, let's not forget that Trump doesn't give a shit about process. Process is, it's a word that doesn't apply to him. I mean, let's just go back and think for two seconds about the process of the pardons when Jared decided to take over the secretary of everything and the doer of nothing, but somehow or another, he managed to avoid the entire pardon office and basically flew right over that process and handed out pardons to people for whatever the reason may be, right? Money, influence, who really knows? But my biggest fear is that what they would what they would put, and I'm talking about Trump's counsel, because I find them to be beyond stupid. I think that they are the bottom of the barrel when it comes to choosing anyone. I mean, just look at the team that he has. I'm shocked that they didn't turn around and make the argument that Trump's not the one who took the documents out of the White House, that this was done by other people because Trump is such a fat fuck that he can't lift a goddamn box and it was then done by other people, right. nor does he have the... the, the the mental, um, you know, stamina to actually go through documents to put him in a box. I yeah. wouldn't be shocked, yeah. and I'm not joking now. I'm. I wouldn't be shocked if he turns on, blames it on somebody else, and saying they're the ones that took it. So no, listen. You the, another another great talking point here is the motion that they filed with. By the way, they filed this motion for a special master up in Fort Pierce, Florida, which, by the way, is like pl- a planet away from um, Palm Beach and Miami. Uh, it's the you, it's the, far- the farthest north you can be, Michael, and still be in the southern district of Florida. 
right? And they they were they were judge shopping, but that that's another point, and it, it backfired on, on them because the judge, Judge Cannon, who I believe was was appointed by Trump, she went, look, I, this is making no sense to me. I don't even know why you filed with me. What what the hell? Can you can you please refile and explain? And and they did, but in in that motion, you raise a good point here because you would have expected, I would have expected that one of the defenses would be, I, I didn't do it. Um, the movers did it. Uh, some clerk did it. I didn't even know they were here. And by not asserting that defense early on, they have painted themselves into a corner. He He's mm-hmm. had to come out, right? He's had to say everything but that. Uh, I declassified them. Um, they're mine. Um, you, you, you know, I did... I, it, I was cooperating. They they have missed the opportunity of perhaps the greatest defense, which would be I had no idea. Um, and, and and the thing is, by asserting as they do in this motion, Michael, um, for for a special master that the, these may contain executive privileged documents, they have they have given up an argument that they might contain attorney client privilege. They've boxed themselves in a corner with executive privilege because the irony of that defense is. Oh, they're they're executive privilege documents. Really, by very definition, executive privilege documents belong to the executive. Exactly. You're not him. You're not him. And so, and by the way, the executive branch is asking for the documents. So it's a it's a losing argument. And it gets back to your point: horrible, ineffective assistance of counsel. Yeah. So let me ask you this then, Frank. Obviously, someone had, you know, had to have alerted the DOJ that they would, you know, have found probable cause, you know, for obstruction uh, if they had searched Mar-a-Lago. I have my ideas about who that person might be. You have any particular, you know, suspects here? I mean, this is what you did for a living. I just have my conjecture. But who do you think it was? So, so look, I, I have to, we have to be, we have to use the plural here, because clearly all the documents we've seen so far, Michael, refer to plural witnesses, multiple witnesses. And even, you know, the judge says, boy, the, the government's made a great argument about protecting multiple civilian is the term used, multiple civilian witnesses. So it's not just one person. Now, we've had some clue in reporting in the media that Pat Cipollone, still in the White House at the time, was telling the National Archives, yeah, yeah, we got we got classified in the residence, and you got to take this back. So, so suspect number one, Cipollone. Um, but I don't, I don't know. There's a cast of thousands down there, as you just said. What are your, what are your thoughts? So here are my thoughts, and again, I've been very vocal about it. And again, I'm going to preface this by saying it's my conjecture. I am not like you. I am not a seasoned FBI agent. Um, But reality, you know, eventually sits on all of our doorstep. Who knows whether or not Frank Fogluzzi has a safe in his home? Well, clearly it would be your significant other, your children, people that live with you, right? So let's just use Donald here. Who would know that Donald had a safe in Mar-a-Lago? Well, Jared, Ivanka, Don Jr., Eric... Melania? Maybe, maybe not. So my, th- my theory is, who's the one that seems to be escaping 
all of the nonsense that's going, you know, that's going around, yet was known as the secretary of everything, had his hands in every dirty deed that went on during the administration, has managed to benefit to the tune of over $2.5 billion from the Saudi. My theory is that it's Jared. Now, when I saw that it said multiple people and that they are civilians, well, now just Ed Ivanka, so we have Javanka, because they are, they are freaking frack when it comes to everything. People say to me, oh, come on, stop it. Ivanka wouldn't do that to her father. And I say bullshit, right? There's no doubt in my mind. Right now they are doing and they are getting everything that they wanted. And that's a ton of money. I mean, he's pulling down $50 million a year in just fees off of, you know, the Saudi investment money. Yeah. They're building themselves a $100 million house down there in Florida. That's all that they care about. It's money power and influence. So do I believe that they knew that these documents were there? I believe that Ch that Cipollone was the impetus for getting both Jared and Ivanka to testify. And during that time period, and they testified, and they didn't take from what I read, they didn't take the fifth a thousand times like other people did. For all you know, they said, yeah, I know my dad has classified information at Mar-a-Lago in his office and in the safe and shit like that. Then they probably asked, you know, Jared the same question. And he said, yeah, you know, Ivanka was right, you know, and Cipollone had his concerns. That's what I believe. You, so you may not have 25 years in the FBI, but you have almost uh, singular insights into the workings of this bizarre family. And I don't. And so I can't sit here and, and even imagine that, you know, a couple of kids would do in dad, but you, you can, you, you know them. I, I will note that what you just said sounds, a, sounds like a lot like a, a season of the uh, HBO series Succession, um, yeah, sure. where, where the kids, the kids are just doing each other in to succeed dad. Um, unbelievable. But it is counterintuitive. I mean, Jared, yes, indeed. Jared was a beneficiary, no question. Uh, you know, remember the battle that went on over his clearance at the White House and whether he should get TS, top secret or not. Which, by the way, he never got until Trump turned around and said, I'm giving it to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why? Why? I mean, really, the difference, as I try to tell people, the difference between TS, top secret and secret, is really, I mean, you could sit there. I, I would sit on my at my desk and I'd see a secret version of a document and I'd see the TS version of the very same document. And the and the TS version simply is because it contains references to the how how they got it, the source and the method. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. so why why would Jared need to see the source and the method? And and yes, he to the tune of millions and billions, he's he's likely benefited from access to that in his personal business. So it's somewhat counterintuitive to think that he would then turn around and cooperate with the FBI and go, yeah, I, I have a ton of money in my bank account now, but I'd like to tell you that my dad has all this stuff that I may have benefited from. It, it's a, it's a, it's interesting. I, I tend to lean more toward, by the way, I'm not discounting that at all, but since we're, we're talking about multiple witnesses, I also have to consider the formers. Um, the, you know, Mark Meadows has been deathly quiet, right? Uh, and it, people who have been down to Mar-a-Lago, someone, someone I'm sure in media is working on a list of, of people who visited and, and made their pilgrimage to Mar-a-Lago Mar -Lago Mecca right after January, right, to pay homage 
and and stay in good graces. And that's everybody from McCarthy, Meadows, you, you name the, they, the but, but Frank, they would never know. Donald is not open about that. So even with Mark Meadows, his chief of staff, who's getting a beating in the in the eyes of the public because of his servitude, you know, to Donald, he would not know about the safe. Donald would not tell him about it, nor would Donald ever tell him about what was in it simply because they could use that over him. See, Donald has a very small, you know, you remember that whole circle of trust with Robert De Niro in the movie Meet the Fockers? It's the same thing. There were maybe a handful of people that would have known this, right? And that includes his kids. Like I said, my, my, my opinion. Another well, it's more than an opinion because it's informed uh, by your insights. I, I so that's interesting because I view Trump as somebody. I, it's the trust thing, right? Is important, but I view him as someone who has a track record of of uh, ex- exposing classified publicly. Even um, remember the infamous tweet of a satellite photo of an Iranian uh, nuke facility that blew up. Right? He's, he tweets it. It's, well, when it's he gave, or when he gave that document to the Russians yeah, in, the uh, in, Russian, the, in the Oval Office? Which came from a foreign intelligence service, by the way, right? From Israel. And it's not his to give, right? So my point is, he loves showing stuff around. And so is there anybody that you can think of non-family who would have made a pilgrimage down there and he would have said, hey, you got to see this. You're not going to believe this. No, no, no. No. So wow. let me then. No, no. And I believe that the kids, especially Jared, knows that Donald would throw his ass under a bus in under a second to save himself. And you know what? This is how could you how could you expect me not to, Donald? Because if the shoe was in the other foot, it would be my ass getting rolled over, you know, by the by the Donald bus guaranteed so he i'm protecting myself your daughter and your grandkids i mean that's how jared's probably rationalizing this how about how about rank and file staff at mar-a-lago here's why i say this remember they the subpoena one of the subpoenas there were two at least was for the surveillance camera video of the hallway in front of the storage room and reportedly that really alarmed doj because when they got it they saw quote-unquote boxes and containers being moved Containing documents and and containers being changed. Is it possible he gave an order to staff? Um, hey, yeah, we got some issues. Uh, start moving these boxes out, and they they laid eyes on classified markings. Listen, that's always a possibility, but I look again. I doubt it. You know, Trump is not that. Um, he's not that forward thinking. You know, the only thing that the staff would do is they would move the boxes from here to there. Um, and it would probably be under the supervision of somebody like a Jared. Like, he wouldn't trust Don Jr. Because, as he used to say to me, Don is the worst fucking judgment of anyone that I've known. Plus, Don is also shady as his father. Don would probably open the boxes, even if they were scotch tape closed, to see what's in them and possibly take something for himself. But then let me ask you this next question. When there's a compromise of the sort that took place at Mar-a-Lago, there's something called damage assessment, correct? Okay, what does that exactly entail? And how can we now protect our government's methods and sources, you know, if this stuff is just floating around out there? Because we really have no idea, not just, we, we, we don't have an idea, not just people who have seen it, 
but we don't know whether or not photos have been you know taken of it we don't know whether these are the only you know additional 12 boxes maybe he has them somewhere else maybe he has them you know in one of his other properties where he stores shit like up at seven springs or somewhere so look uh, the short cavalier answer to what is a damage assessment right now is it's a nightmare in this case because of the volume of, of documents recovery. We just made reference to 184 before the search. And now we know from the search return document that there are 11 more sets of classified. We don't know how many pages that is, but let's assume we're up around 200 uh, classified documents. And now you're assigned to the task of the damage assessment. Okay. So first thing you got to do, I mean, they're going to they're going to be lifting fingerprints. They're going to try to get latent fingerprints off these documents in terms of who touched them, not just for criminal prosecution, but for the damage assessment. Right. If a fingerprint belongs to, uh, I don't know, Ahmed on the staff and he's a foreign national, you know, all of that has to be figured out. Then you go back to the agencies and boy, there's going to be some sobering discussions at CIA and NSA with FBI agents because they're going to go back to the agencies that originated some of these documents. Again, we saw H and SI markings on documents. Those, those belong to CIA or NSA. And there's gonna, they have to lock themselves in a skiff and they're going to say, I have some bad news for you, my friend. Your documents were found at Mar-a-Lago. Please tell us what How? the damage. Yeah, please tell us the damage. Tell us, tell us whether you need to exfiltrate this human source somewhere in the world that is, that is working for Team America and is now going to get killed if someone, you know, what's the worst case scenario if this got exposed? That's what you do in a damage, worst case scenario, who had access and when. Um, and you got to look at the markings. You also look at page numbers. And I think this played a role. This is conjecture. But I think the National Archives and the DOJ started looking at the documents they got, Michael, and they started looking because they're very carefully marked at this level of classification. And they went home. Oh, my God, there's three pages missing in this document. Right. What, what the hell? And and where's three? Where's page 37? And and that that's part of establishing, OK, what was on page 37? What was that? And they got to go back and find the, you know, oh, the original. It, 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 all of that. Who, what, when damage. And you almost have to assume, assume a worst case scenario. I'll, I'll, I won't give you the name of the of the case, but. There's a one of the most one of the most damaging spies in U.S. history, inside the U.S. intelligence community, worked for the Russians. When he was approached and debriefed as to you know what the hell did you do over the years, he pretty much said, "If I touched it, you should consider it gone. If I touched it, you should consider it gone." And wow. and and that, that really kind of governs the mindset of a damage assessment is how how bad is this worst case scenario? Wow. Wow. So, look, let me then ask you the following. Merrick Garland is trying to restore the reputation of the Justice Department after Trump and Bill Barr, in my opinion, you know, just absolutely fucking destroyed it. Mm -hmm. How do you think that he's doing so far? I mean, has he played this Mar-a-Lago search and seizure correctly? Or you think there was something that he might have done differently or better? Yeah, my God, this guy is between a rock and a hard place because the answer to your question is literally, it depends who in our society you're asking, right? If, if you, I mean, I can sit here and tell you that I think he's played it pretty well. And, you know, I also will sit here and tell you that I'm a big advocate 
uh, I even say this in a chapter of my book, uh, the FBI by well, FBI way. There's a whole chapter called consistency, and what I what I advocate is when you're under the most stress in the most unprecedented circumstances, stick to protocol and practice. Don't think that if we've never seen this before, we have to somehow respond differently because you're going to get into trouble. So that was my approach to Merrick Garland saying, okay, you've got an unprecedented search of a former president, but don't, don't do everything, anything different. Don't start talking and calling press conferences because they're going to call you out for it. But I got to tell you, he did come out publicly and I think it was the right move. I think he had to, I think he had to explain. Um, I don't think we're going to hear from him anymore. But, you know, with regard to the polarization in our society, look, you could go down the street and talk to some guy who's going to tell you he's the devil. Merrick Garland's the devil. The FBI is evil. And it's the end of the world. And, and it's all political. So, look, it, de it depends. But I think he's done the right thing. I think I, if there's any criticism I have, National Archives spent way too long playing a game way too long playing a deferential game and putting trust in Trump. And, and you know what happens when you do that. DOJ moved a little faster once they got handed the case. Um, but that's the only criticism I have so far. You know, one of the biggest problems, and I talk about it a lot, is that Trump is a master manipulator. He's a master spinner. I mean, you're still seeing 53% of the Republican Party right now are behind Donald and believing that this Mar-a-Lago, listen, that's not me saying it. That's a, uh, I believe, a Reuter Ipsos poll that came out. 53% of the Republican Party believe that Merrick Garland, the DOJ, the FBI, that they should not have done what they did. And what does Donald do off of it? He fundraises, and so do the rest of these sycophantic acolytes that are around him. But let me tell you why Donald is doing it. It's more than it's, it's not just only about the money. The money's a big part of it for him. What he knows is that innately, the American people don't trust government. We just don't. You know, if you ask nine out of ten people on the street, you know, do you think our our politicians are corrupt? I wouldn't be shocked if nine out of ten turn around and say. Yeah, absolutely. Is the FBI corrupt? Is the DOJ corrupt? Absolutely. You'll find the same comments. Why? Well, look, I'm a former lawyer, right? Obviously now disbarred because of Trump uh, and, you know, the my participation in what? In the campaign finance violation. We've watched as they've allowed that to gloss over. So instead, on the unconstitutional remand against me, we file FOIA requests. What does DOJ come back with? Right off the rip, there's no documents. I have this in my new book, Revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against their critics. They come back and they say, by letter, there are no search results that meet your FOIA request. So I turn it over to this lawyer. His name is Mark Zaid. Everybody knows Mark, right? I was speaking the other day with um, Norm Eisen. He uses him as well. Everyone in this field uses him in order to get FOIA documents. And so I said to him, it's impossible. I already have four documents that I know exist. I have them in my possession. Let me shoot them over to you, which I do. And then he files an action. You know how many documents... You know how many documents ended up meeting the criteria after we established the fact that they were lying 
lying. This fucking governmental agency that my tax dollars goes to support lied and said there was zero over 450,000 documents. So let's 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 get this right for for the listeners here. You're saying that that y- the scope that you let, let's 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 re- recap on what exactly you were asking them to provide, right? It has to do with the remand and you might want to spell that out, but but then they came back and said zero. We don't, we got nothing. And then they came back with 400 over 400,000 documents that that they're they're saying they they found. Um, about what? Expl- explain that. Just, and about it's the, uncon- it's- about yeah. the unconstitutional remand back to prison. So, for example, there's a guy, his name is Adam Pakula. He's like the lowest level guy there at Department of Corrections. He didn't make the decision to remand me. He spoke to a guy. With, well, his supervisor was in the room, Enid Phoebus. She's now retired and down in Florida, which is perfect for her because I think she's a MAGA. Um, then they speak to a guy named Patrick McFarland, who's a residential reentry um, manager over at like MDC in Brooklyn. But he then was speaking to somebody else who was with the Eastern Regional Division, who then spoke up and up and up. And, and my, my supposition is that this all came from Bill Barr, because the document that they prepared, that they gave to me, this two-page document, does not have a federal ID number attached to it. As you know, all federal documents have a classification, a document number attached to it. It did not. It was written specifically for me. So my point is, now they're telling me, we, we can't even give you this close to half a million documents. Can you, can you limit your search? And so Mark Zaid contacts me, and we agree that we're not going to ask for the 302s. They notoriously don't give it to you if you plead guilty, which, you know, they got me to plead guilty by threatening to indict and to incarcerate my wife over Trump's, you know, um, relationship with Stormy Daniels and the payment. Suffice it to say, right, they'll only give us 500 documents a month. And they were supposed to turn them over by August 22nd. Instead, on August 22nd, they send out a letter that turns around and says, well, there are other government agencies involved with methods and process. We need to send it to them in order to see what they want to redact. So, Despite the fact they had eight months so far to get us the first 500 documents, even after the change and the reduction of the scope, there's 47,000 documents. It's going to take me more than nine years to get my documents. You, you remember Ray Donovan, uh, Secretary of Labor from the Ronald Reagan administration? What does a person need to do to get their reputation back? That's why I'm going after these documents. Because rest assured, you know what else is in these documents? Additional conversations like the federal, like the prosecutors, the Southern District of New York, when they suspected, and then actually I don't believe it's suspected, I believe that they knew that Alan Weisselberg, the Trump CFO that recently, you know, is going to be pleading guilty, um, you know, to either it's going to be five months or possibly 15 years unless he testifies in the upcoming case against the Trump org, that he lied to the Southern District, they still use that lie to go after me before a grand jury. So there's the whole smorgasbord of bullshit that's going on here, which I outline in this book, Revenge, with real specificity, because 
This is what Trump is doing. He's using, for example, what happened to me in order to make the rest of you know, his followers or people who don't believe government is legitimate, he's making them believe that, well, based upon, look what they did to Cohen, and I don't even like him. I actually can't stand him, but look what they did to him. They railroaded him in order to go after me. This is the circular thinking of Donald Trump, and that's why I ask you the question, whether or not Merrick Garland is doing a good job, and he needs to do a great job after Bill Barr shitted it all up, in order to fix the reputation. Because if we don't trust our government, what else do we have? Wow. Okay, so... Uh, yes, I thought your question was specific to how he's handled the Mar-a-Lago search in January 6th, writ large, and I think he's done an excellent job. I, I think you're talking about systemic institutional issues and also, by the way, the possibility that there are still uh, Trump MAGA true believers uh, penetrated into our institutions. I'm convinced that there are, even though we keep hearing the mantra of deep state, deep state, I think it more likely refers to remnants of uh, of Trump, but I, I I will say a couple of things. I'm I'm both surprised and not surprised by the story you just told regarding the FOIA request for your own your own uh, remand data. That for those who you've got a savvy audience, but for those who don't understand what a remand is, this is this is Michael trying to figure out how and who in God's name he got out of prison and then ended up getting put back in. Do I have that right? Michael. You have it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so now it's been narrowed down from about a half a million documents to 47,000 documents. What, what, I'm not, what I'm not surprised about is the approach that's been taken with your request. You don't feel singled out here because I've seen it before. I've seen the, oh, really? You want all the documents in your case? They call your bluff. Yeah. There's a gazillion and uh, where would you like the truck delivered over the course of the next 10 years? I'll take uh, it. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've seen that. Or, you know, you mentioned that they're they're lying. And, and this, by the way, this often happens at a, at a, at a low staffing level of some, some poor employee who has to handle FOIA requests, right? And, and they go, they, they, they have blinders on. So, okay, Cohen is requesting something, uh, half a million. Well, no, Cohen's requesting re the scope of what he's asking for is related to his remand, not the whole God darn criminal investigation of, of Cohen. Um, and so suddenly you see requests to narrow the scope. I, I've seen this a hundred times, if not a thousand. But what is surprising to me is that, my God, there's nearly a half a million doc documents that they came back with. From the zero to half a million. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, that is I have to tell you, in a case like yours, and, and if it's truly just the remand, that's a staggering amount of documents. I, I'm, I'm I don't even know where those would come from. Yeah, well, neither do I. But as soon as I get them, I'll let you know. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you and I are going to have to stay friends for what it looks like nine years. Now, let me <laughs> ask you, Frank, let me ask you this. Since the release of your best selling book, The FBI Way, in early 2021, the FBI has been under increasing public scrutiny while also having to navigate this unprecedented number of violent threats that are coming against agents. And on top of that, the recent Mar-a-Lago search has now only exacerbated these threats. So 
If you can, and if you know, what's the feeling inside the Bureau? I mean, have these threats served to increase the FBI's resolve to bring Trump to justice? Or do you think maybe it's given them pause because lives are now so clearly on the line? Yeah, I think I think this is where Trump may and the far right may be miscalculating. I, I think if they if they believe and I don't know, I, I think they're really just trying to turn the public against institutions and believe that truly there's some true believers who believe that the only answer is to completely dismantle our institutions and start over again. And I, while I disagree strongly with that, I actually respect someone who believes that in their heart, right? I think that's not going on. I, I think what most of the pe- most vocal people are doing when they threaten the FBI and even the lives of FBI agents and their families, I think I think they're dangerously deluded and radicalized and don't give a shit about the safety of the people who come to work every day trying to preserve America. So this becomes personal to me. I spent 25 years in that agency. I know the men and women who come to work every day simply trying to get the mission done, took an oath to protect, preserve and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And now that the enemies are domestic, Michael, now people get very, very, very worried, right? And so let's recap. We've had a guy in Cincinnati, Ohio, who shows up in the reception room uh, at FBI Cincinnati and decides this is the day I'm going to show up with an AR-15 slung over my shoulder and I'm willing to die in a cornfield in, in the farm country of remote Ohio because I believe the Mar-a-Lago search was overreached by the FBI. That, that is called radicalization. The, the ability to move from ideology to deadly action in a matter of weeks or days is a sign of extreme radicalization. There's a guy, there's a team of people who show up with, again, assault-style rifles and surround FBI Phoenix a couple of weekends ago. You know the first thing I thought of, on a, so particularly because it was a weekend, How about the woman coming to work her afternoon shift as the radio dispatcher on a Saturday at FBI Phoenix? No badge, no gun. Didn't sign up to risk her life working the radio on 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 an evening shift at the FBI Phoenix, right? She's got to drive through that crowd to get to the security booth and get into the parking lot. Really? Is that where we are? A guy um, just a couple of days ago gets arrested, FBI Chicago. He jumps he jumps the tall security fence, starts throwing rocks at the building. He's a nutcase. But again, are you willing to get shot for a lie, for the deception that's happening here? Um, yeah, that's where we are. Um, and, and the threats to his family. Some guy running for state senate in Florida actually yeah. said if he, if he gets elected – um, he's going to has a plan to give permission to shoot on site FBI agents. Yes. What, what, what really? And and who's come out on the far right and said, OK, that's enough. That's enough of that. Essentially, nobody. Yeah, which is disgraceful. And you may remember when the FBI raided my home, the hotel law office, the first thing Trump came out and said is the same nonsense that he said now. They kicked down the doors, you know, they held people at bay, they ransacked the place. And you may remember, because we've had this conversation, I turned around and I said, they were courteous, they were respectful, and they were professional. And you know, the funny thing too is, um, even with the unconstitutional remand, a bunch of the agents turned around and said, I just want to say thank you 
for standing up for us because our job is hard enough. This isn't this right. isn't personal. We were just we were doing what we were told to do, which is to execute yeah. on this warrant. But I want to ask you this then, because we you're right. We have these radicalized lunatics, and, they, and there's no other way to call them. They are lunatics. Are we ready? Should this magaverse go off and try to start something like a civil war? I mean, because Garland has to be aware that Trump's violent supporters will go nuts if, you know, or, and or would go nuts if Mar-a-Lago was searched. So they must have had, you know, they, they must have had knowledge of this before that they went in. Or do you believe in your opinion was the extreme MAGA reaction to the search underestimated by Garland and maybe the FBI? I think they had a plan. This is conjecture, but I think they had a plan. But which, by the way, you know, you talk about unprecedented times. DOJ is not accustomed to having to have a PR plan for a search warrant, right? They Their typical MO is mm -hmm. uh, we, we've conducted law enforcement action at the corner of Maple and Vine, right? That's it. Okay, now for the for, for the first time that I can remember, they probably have a team who's going, okay, uh, if Trump does this, uh, after we do this, then we do this. We have to come out. We may have to come out, sir, and have a press conference. We, we might have to issue a statement. We might have to file this. So they're having to play chess. So far, they're playing chess pretty well. And I think your the answer to your question is, I think they were watching to see the extent of reaction and, and acted accordingly. But I have to tell you the concern here. So there's good news, bad news. As bad as the threats have gotten, and yes, some guy died in a cornfield in Ohio, and some guy jumped a fence in Chicago, um, it hasn't been uh, a call to civil war. There, by the way, there are people on extreme chat rooms who who belong to violent groups who are saying, yeah, yeah, uh, let's go, saddle up, uh, locked and loaded. But but you know what? They do that every weekend. They say, they say that every weekend. So, you know... But the concern would be that this would be a sneak preview, what we've seen so far in terms of threat and the far right inability to call it out and stop it. This would be a sneak preview for the day if and when Trump is indicted on something, anything that that, that the, the sight of him getting processed, handcuffed or whisked away or showing up at, at the marshal's office for processing that that really could exacerbate the threat level, no question about it. And I'm, I'm also equally, if not even more concerned about the November midterms and, and the possibility of violence, in, particularly in certain key Arizona, uh, Georgia, Florida, uh, the Senate races, um, the, 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 the far right planning already to say, doesn't matter if we won, there was corruption in the, in the vote counting or the machines or whatever, they're ready to go. They're ready to go. And I've said repeatedly, they don't have to win in November. They just have to claim that it was a corrupt, non-credible outcome. And we could see violence at the state, county, local level. You know, Frank, let me go back for a quick second and bring back that Merrick Garland question about whether he's doing enough in order to rehabilitate the reputation of the Department of Justice. And this is just a yet another reason why I say he's doing too little. Yes, okay, great. They went, they raided Mar-a-Lago or they executed the warrant. They took documents that we now know he should not have had in 184 docs and all that. 
There are so many things that they could have and should have already locked this guy's ass up. He should already be, if not in prison, because I understand the difficulty of putting a former president in a federal correctional institution. So let's put him on a home confinement, but a very strict one. This should have already been done. Why? We already know going back three plus years, at least three years, obstruction of justice and witness tampering. We all know it. Let's even go Let's even go back even further than that. When I testified before the House Oversight Committee and I showed the world that Donald Trump is a tax cheat. Fuck it. Fuck it. They couldn't get Al Capone on what they wanted to get him on. Murder, extortion, racketeering. So they got his ass on fucking racketeering. They got him on, on tax evasion. That's what they got him on. The same shit. Does anybody that's center to left care whether or not it's because he stole documents in violation of the law from, you know, the National Archives, or they get him and put him away for tax evasion, bank fraud, you know, wire fraud, etc. There's so many things that Merrick Garland could have and should have done, but his feeling is, no, I throw my hands up, you know, I don't want to be political, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be perceived as being political, and he says, everybody describes him, he's slow and methodical. You know what happens with slow and methodical, Frank? You get fucking run over, and that's the problem with Trump, because his fucked up as he is and as stupid as he is, he is as manipulative as he is, and he's running over this country, including now having these documents. Because you're right, we don't know who he gave them to. We don't know who he showed. We don't know whose lives are in danger, whether they're agents, whether it's you, me, it could be, who knows? Who knows? So look, I, I, I'm not someone who's going to sit here and debate anything you, you just said, because I do believe our democracy is threatened. And so delay could literally lead to the demise of democracy. However, comma, I understand, based on my years in, in DOJ, the investigative approach he took. I may, you and I may not agree to agree with it, but it's an established investigative approach, which is you work your way up, right? You flip people. Um, it's very traditional in drug and organized crime cases, right? Seldom do you get to swoop in and arrest everybody at once, the capo of the family or the head of the cartel, plus all the minions and captains and all of that. Very, very rare. So they took a traditional approach. They also, I'm sure, were extra cautious because they of public perception. So they want, to pe they want people to go, hey, look, we're taking the low-hanging fruit. We're, we're approaching 1,000 people uh, arrested for their role in January 6th violence. And that needs to get done because, by God, we can't have 1,000 people again at the Capitol. So let's send a message about accountability and consequences to the masses. I get that. The problem that I have, and some have come out and and and, and kind of like you questioned that investigative approach in this in this regard because of the urgency of the threat. Um, so I can't take credit for this. Uh, Andrew Weissman, former general counsel at the FBI, has actually come out and said, you know, that's a that's a nice traditional approach, working your way literal um, in a linear fashion, straight up. But there's also another approach, which is hub and spoke, which is uh, hey, uh, come at it from all angles and and do everything at once. All hands on deck. Why do you have to do everything? You know the the January six people first, and so there there could be another approach here. The problem back to PR is, and I know I, I hate the word optics. I hate when people tell me, Frank, 
the optics are bad to this. I, in my career, I really couldn't care less about the optics, but I get it that if you go too fast, right? If they if they came out yesterday and went, "Yep, um, we're taking down Trump for for uh, the state uh, false slate of electors, for ginning up the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers on January, and for the fake documents, we got we're done, we're done, we got it all done." Um, most of the public would go, God, Jesus, that was really fast. The grand juries are all done. You interviewed everybody? Really? So it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. I do agree with you that like the Al Capone thing, if you if you have a threat, the threat has to be neutralized. And if it's neutralized on tax fraud Who cares? Or, or documents, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, look, when you mentioned Weissman, uh, I believe it was Weissman who actually took my case that was being reviewed by the FBI. I believe it was Weissman. After knowing I'd never been to Prague, after knowing that all of the 11 allegations raised against me in the Steele dossier were bullshit, he nevertheless turned around and sent the file to the Southern District of New York. So if, if I'm wrong, it's not Weissman. I believe that it is. You know, so be it. But you're, I agree with you on the point that, you know, um, you don't really need anybody to flip on Donald when you have documentary evidence and they have his tax returns. They have, ev- they have everything. They have Mazers, the accounting firm that testified to it as well. It's also the same sort of nonsense that we're dealing with, with Alvin Bragg, right? You have two lawyers, Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn, both turning around saying, we have enough. We have enough to indict. We let's, let's do it. Nope. For some unknown reason, you know, Alvin Bragg, I think, has, I hate to to say it, you know, Merrick Garland disease. But, yeah, it could also be finances. It could be, you know, he wants to stay in power. Maybe his, you know, supporters and so on told him to, who knows. But, you know, Frank, as the hour comes to a quick close, I have one last question for you. Now, you're really the best person to ask for this because you're the expert when it comes to law enforcement in America. And, you know, proud of your work in the field as well. But what do you think the future holds for institutions like the FBI, like the CIA, and even the IRS, if half of the country doesn't respect the institution or the rule of law anymore? I mean, is this just a moment in American history, or is this the tide really turning against law enforcement as we know it? The future looks pretty bleak right now. Um, I tend not not to be a super optimist because my job in in counterintelligence was to think worst case scenarios. And um, I got to tell you, the damage being that's been done to our institutions. Think about this. One man in four years, just one man in just four years has tried and, and in some parts succeeded to erode public credibility and confidence in our Department of Justice in our FBI, in the mm-hmm. center, in the Centers for Disease Control. Yep. Uh, and I could go on the CIA, which he totally blew off in terms of intelligence and credibility. Um, one guy in just four years. Now, there's good news. It will come back, but it will take years to come back. Um, also, some good news. Last time I checked with recruiters at the FBI, and I said hey, how's it looking in terms of people raising their hand and saying, I, I want to be an FBI employee? Um, they said, you know what? It's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty good. They want in on this 
They want in on fighting for the Constitution. That's a bright spot I'll leave you with. Yeah, unfortunately, I too don't see a bright spot. And one of the biggest problems, like I said, when Ray Donovan, right, what do you need to do to get your reputation back? Well, I think that there needs to be a clearing. I really do. I think that there needs to be more transparency. Like with FOIA, it was designed for transparency. Now, I get it. The FBI, the CIA, you know, they they need to operate, you know, not fully transparent. But once you have the case and once the case is over or once the case is being litigated, transparency should be out the window. If I was if I was the PR for the FBI, I would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. you're attacking us because of what Donald Trump said. Let me now show you what we have. And let's go to the smart board, like the way CNN usually has, you know, people come on to it. And you start circling. Here's 30 boxes in total that he shouldn't have. And here's the law that says that he shouldn't have it. And spell it out. And then maybe you need to show some of the documents. This is what he is doing. Thank God for our FBI agents. You know why? Because with the information that exists in this document that is partially redacted, your life, your children's life, your grandchildren's life, your neighbor, your friends, your co-workers, your, your significant other, everybody's lives are in jeopardy. Thank God for the FBI for doing the job that they did. That's how come America remains safe today. You need to change the, the, the whole image that you're not against the American people, right? That your sole job is not to raid people's homes and kick the doors down, as Donald likes to say, and ransack the joint, but rather it's in order to protect America, to protect our democracy. And that's, that's really what, that's what I would do if I was in their position. Instead of constantly hiding behind this cloak of, you know, of, se- you know, secrecy. That's just my opinion. So, amen. I appreciate it. I'm with you on the need for a far more aggressive PR posture, more assertive. Um, I'm not sure Chris Ray is that guy, but yes, but but only with regard to the good things the FBI is doing while we're all engaged in this commentary. So a couple of that, those things have happened, but it was too quiet. I I promoted them on Twitter just last week. Um, We saw the FBI in a nationwide operation rescue dozens upon dozens of children being sexually trafficked. Did, did that get enough attention? Hell I no. didn't even know it. Should, should Chris Ray come out and go, Operation Cross Country, which is what they call it, was a resounding success, and we've rescued dozens upon dozens of children and arrested their pimps and kidnappers. The other thing that happened last week was um, just in, in Houston, the takedown of 10 MS-13 leaders for murder, for murder. Um, violent gang in our country. Did that get enough attention? No. Should Chris Ray come out and hold a press conference when they do stuff like that? You bet he should. With regard, with regard to um, coming out early, now we're into this gray area. Hey, uh, 30 boxes. Hey, look what we found. You know you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Here comes the far right going. They never talk about a pending case. That, that's not fair. That's political. So you got to be careful about that. But yes, more assertive PR, marketing, Good things they do every day. People don't know about. Agree with you. You know what? I, I take back about the uh, 
Trump documents. You're right. That's exactly what would happen. But Frank, let me thank you for joining me. Stay safe, my friend. Do, you know, keep doing, keep fighting, keep doing everything that you're doing. And um, I'm always here for you if you need me. Same here. You you as well. Uh, good luck with FOIA and documents. And, and keep me keep me uh, advised. You know, you know I will. Thank you, Frank. Right. Enjoy. Take care. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my